Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. All right, we're talking about quiet times. And our understanding of quiet time is that it's a time where we begin and end with silence. There's a time of reading maybe the same psalm every day of the week, or four to five days of the week, and then there's a time of reading through very slowly a handful of verses out of a time through one of the Gospels, which are the biographical sketches of Jesus. And then there's a time of writing out a few sentences in a journal and ending with silence. And throughout that time, there will be prayer. In fact, the whole thing starts to become a prayer at some point. And we talked about guarding this time to make sure that it feels more like delight than duty. And one of the keys is not trying to be overly heroic. And when you start making big goals for your spiritual life and spiritual growth, sometimes it becomes more energized by your, by you, and God's work is kind of left to the side, whereas if you make it a little bit more doable and sustainable, God shows up in some unique ways if you just do a little bit for a long time. Because the Spirit doesn't yield to human effort. And so, you know, it's good to read through the Bible systematically, and I have a space in my life to do that, but that's not my morning devotional time. The morning devotional time is more about intimacy and connection with the Lord. So we want that time to feel like delight and something that you can actually enjoy. And today we're going to be talking about prayer. And if you want a more thorough understanding of that outline, you can listen to the first Sunday in January and go to our podcast and listen to that or go to our website and listen to it. Um, last week, we talked about praying without demands and praying without outcomes in mind, praying with expectation, but not with specific expectations of God. You're expecting that he's going to do something, but you're not going to him with a list of expectations. And today we're going to talk about prayer and how, what it actually looks like. Last week was more what I would avoid in prayer, and that's praying with demands, and today is what does your prayer actually look like. And I'm going to give you a couple guiding principles and end like the last minute or two of the, the teaching is going to be some very practical things, but the money's in the guiding principles, and that will set you up for the practical steps that I'm going to share at the end. And I want to start with a, a, a quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a big player in church history and uh, was the tip of the spear for what we in Christian world call the Reformation, which is completely realigned and changed and reshaped the way that the average person interacts with God through Scripture, uh, made some corrections in church hierarchy, did a lot of really, really good thing and things. And Martin Luther was like the, the tip of the spear for that. And um, so he was a good guy, interesting guy. And he said this quote, someone asked him about like time management or something. And he said, I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. What he's saying is, 
My capacity to do the things that God is calling me to do today is dependent on him enabling me to do those things. And I think that's, that is a fantastic and correct principle. Absolutely right. Which is the main reason why I go to God first thing in the morning to help me. But the three hours. So when I go to heaven... I'm going to find Martin Luther, and I'm going to say, that quote, that three-hour, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Like, you maybe did that once or twice or a week, but you, you know how people are using that quote down there? I mean, they're, they're using it to, like, guilt people and to thinking they're not praying enough, or you have to be extravagant or spend hours and hours in prayer for it to be effective, and if you knew anything about Martin Luther, he would tend to embellish a little bit, and he also liked to talk about himself. So those are two dangerous things. There's another big player in church history named Calvin, and people will often say, the difference between Calvin and Luther is Calvin didn't talk about himself. Martin Luther said some crazy stuff because he liked getting a reaction. So I'm going to tell him, yeah, that was crazy, and you probably shouldn't have said it because I think that hurt a lot of people because it gives us this unrealistic perspective of these church giants in the past that they just spend hours and hours and hours in prayer. And I think that's a little bit unrealistic. And whenever someone says that makes you, whenever someone says something that makes you feel like a spiritual putz, it's probably not being said in love. It's probably being said in ego. And that feels a lot like ego to me. So I wanted to start with that quote like a lot of people do when they're talking about prayer, but I wanted to um, say, I don't like it. I like the principle, but it doesn't feel good to me when, when I hear someone say that. So my goal for today is that you walk away feeling like prayer is a bit more realistic. No matter what your current prayer life looks like right now, when I was first beginning to pray, I pray out loud just because it helps me to keep the same train of thought. I can't really pray in my mind unless it's right before I go to bed. And when I first started praying, it was a weird feeling because, you know, a lot of people, if you grew up praying, it's natural. But for me, I was like, this is weird because I don't see who I'm talking to. And I want to believe that he's listening to me. I want to believe that he hears me, but it's just weird because I just can't see him and I'm not hearing a voice back. It's I'm trying to pray conversationally, but it's not really a conversation. It doesn't feel that way. So it's a little strange. And I feel for people who kind of are struggling to get into the habit of prayer for some of those same reasons. So I want to give you two guiding principles that will hopefully help you begin this journey, a lifetime journey of a conversational prayer life, specifically as it relates to your quiet time when you get up in the morning and start spending this time with the Lord. Here's the first guiding principle. Be yourself in prayer. That's one of those things that's simple, but not easy. But God would prefer that you show up as you in prayer, as you actually are in the moment that you begin praying. You're allowed to show up with whatever emotion you are feeling in the moment. If, you're, if I'm angry, I take that with me into prayer, because he knows anyways. It's, there's no use in pretending that I'm not. And if you read the Psalms through enough, you begin to get the picture that God is not fragile 
and he can handle the reality of your life as it is. You don't have to adjust things to make it a little bit more, I don't want to hurt God's feelings here, I don't want him to think I'm mad at him. You actually can go to him exactly as you are. He would prefer that. And I think sometimes we're disingenuous in prayer because we feel like we have to warm up to God to make sure that when we ask him what we want to ask him about, he's, he's, we're in good favor with him. It's kind of like a teenager talking to the... My girls are here this morning, so I can say this. Like a teenager talking to their dad about something they want to do, but they feel like they have to butter him up a little bit, so they're like, you know, Dad, you are... That beard looks amazing on you. That, you just, you're such a great dad. You do so much for us. And I'm always like, I know what you want to ask me, so let's just get to that. You don't need to be or disingenuous with this. And, and it's the same thing with God. He already knows what we want to talk with him about. And so we should just start with honest conversation with him rather than buttering him up. We don't need to butter God up in prayer. And we do this in different ways. I've done this in every way I'm about to uh, like tell you. Every single one of these things I've done and I still do. Okay, Some of us feel like in order to get God to warm up to what we want to really talk with him about, we have to you know, spit some theology in our prayer. So if I quote a little bit of the Westminster Confession of Faith, God will be like, oh, this guy's serious. Yeah, okay, good. Good, you're serious about this? Yes, I will listen to you. You can go ahead and talk to me. You're speaking my language. <clears throat> Some people only, only pray in you know, a particular version of the Bible, a particular translation of the Bible. Or some people feel like, and I've done this, I do this a lot actually because I'm, this is just my personality. Some people feel like you have to be really fervent emotionally. So I've got to work myself up into the spiritual frenzy. If I just work myself up into this frenzy, God will pay attention. He'll hear me. He'll see that I'm, you know, I'm really serious about this. And he'd prefer I just come to him with the emotion that I am. And most of the time now I'm just, I'm getting calmer as I'm getting older, and it's okay to go to God calmly. And for some people, you know, we feel like we have to say certain words in order for, to get God's attention. So, you know, like things like Father God. If I say Father God ten times in the first paragraph of the prayer, he will respond to that. Like, Father God, we just ask you, Father God, that you will be here in a real way, Father God. I just, Father God, thank you so, like, that, I mean, it's a laughter of identification because I've done it too. And we do that stuff. I told you before, in I think at the Best Western we were talking about this, that there is no Hebrew word for prayer in the Old Testament. It's conversation. We gave it a name and called it prayer, and it got weird. <laughs> we don't need to do any of those things because God already knows what we need. So let's look at Matthew 6, 7, and 8 here. It's in your bulletin if you want to look there or if you want to turn in your scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, this is Jesus giving the instructions, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him.
So the Gentiles in that time were polytheistic. They believed in a lot of different gods. And so if there was a situation in their life that they thought a particular god could help them with, they would go to that god in prayer and they would start buttering up to that god. They would name all the different divine names of that god, all the different attributes. And then after they felt like they had said enough, then they would give their request. Another thing that they did, they had these different mantras and kind of incantations that they would say over and over and over and over. And as they said it, they believed that that God, that particular God would listen to them. And, and Jesus is like, your father, so this is relational, this is about intimacy, this is about connection. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. He already knows. So be yourself, don't put on a front. Get right into the conversation. Show up as you actually are. Uh, several years ago, <clears throat> Kara was making this decision. She had been deliberating about this for a couple months. She was trying to decide if she wanted to go all in with Jesus. She, she was trying to decide if she wanted to put all of her chips in the center of the table. Because it's possible to go through life kind of as a sleepwalking Christian where you go through the motions of Christianity but you refuse to allow yourself to be deeply involved in Christian community in a church where people can speak into your life and sometimes say really hard things. And she was deciding if she actually wanted to do that or if she wanted to go through the motions of Christianity. And she finally got to this place. She was sitting on the, uh, on the deck at our house that we were living in in Wadsworth. And she said, fine, I'll do it, God. But this better, this better not be boring, because I don't like boring. <clears throat> she didn't listen to my praying without demands last week, so it's okay, she can, she can say that. <clears throat> but it was probably the first genuine, real, honest prayer she ever prayed. And God responded in some cool ways, and he hasn't let her life be boring yet. You can go to him exactly as you are. He likes it when she talks to him, because she doesn't play the religious game stuff. She actually has genuine conversation. She believes he's listening, and she talks to him as though he's real. It's compelling. Be who you are in prayer. God doesn't need you to, be, to pretend to be something that you're not. In fact, I will go so far as saying, I think sometimes God appreciates a little gruffness. You don't have to sound eloquent. I mean, who did Jesus go to when he got his disciples? We, talked about, we talk about this a lot. Who did, where did Jesus go to recruit his disciples? He went to the, 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 the guys that flunked out of rabbi school. I mean, because at that time, if you lived in the Jerusalem area, you, you, could, you could go to the temple, you could go to some local rabbis in your area, and you could start getting trained in just the elementary stuff of the Old Testament. And if you did really well at the first level, they would invite you to the next level of classes. And if you did really well there, and you're starting to understand the Torah and asking good questions, and showing that you're learning and that you're interested, you go to the next level, and eventually you might get invited to an academy of the rabbis where you learn to follow a rabbi around and learn how to be a religious leader in that community. 
but you had to show some academic and spiritual acumen in order to do that. And if you didn't, you had to learn your dad's trade. Jesus could have went to the temple and recruited some of these guys that were doing really well academically. Heck, there were philosophers, Greek philosophers around. He could have went and recruited them, orators who were really great speakers. Where'd he go? If you're a fisherman, 75% of your life in that time is mending nets, and so he went to find some people who were mending nets and asked them to follow him. He recruited smelly fishermen. That's where he went. And the list, not all of the disciples were like this. Some of them were humble and more religious, but some of them were traitors and extortioners and political zealots who were trying to overthrow the government and anarchists. These are the people that Jesus recruited to be his disciples. I think about this a lot, actually. I, you know, If Jesus was showing up today... And, Thank God that he's given us his spirit and he changes us and makes us more into his image. But if, if we lived back then and Jesus showed up in this room today, I'm not sure I'd make the cut for the 12. And I'm not kidding. I'm not sure I do because Jesus seems to like the wild-eyed people. And I might, have, I might be becoming a little bit too tame He likes people that remember and that know they've been forgiven much, so they love much. You know, he likes the people that maybe they are not necessarily able to give a really robust theology of forgiveness, but they cry when they talk about how much God has forgiven them. That's the people that he likes. He likes all of us. He loves all of us. But you know what I mean. So if you're in that category of people, why would you try to sound all religious in prayer when God would prefer you show up as you actually are. And he can do a lot with that. An interesting case study of this, and this is in your notes, and you don't have to turn here in scripture, I'm just gonna walk you through it really quickly because we've talked about this before. It's uh, John 4, 1 through 42. You can read it later and study it later. Actually, I encourage you to. Um, Jesus met a woman at the well, at this well. He asked her for a drink of water, which was super humble and really cool in and of itself. You get to spend some time just thinking about that. But this lady was a cultural outcast. She was a Samaritan, first of all, which Samaritans were a little less than human in an Israelite's eyes. And she was a woman who in that time was also considered in some ways a little less than human, which is crazy. And on top of that, she was a moral outcast because she had been with several different men. And you can see in this conversation that Jesus is having with her that she's putting up all sorts of walls. And Jesus eventually cuts to the chase and he lets her know that he sees her and he knows the things she's done. So he He points it out. I know that that's not your husband. I know you've been with five different men. I I see you. And what he's communicating is, it's okay. I'm still here talking to you. And, you know, she, like a lot of us do when we get defensive and when we feel a little bit too seen, she made it into a a theology debate. Jesus plays along and gives her a theological nugget. And she says, listen, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. 
And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus is like, that's me. I'm the Messiah. And it blew her mind that the Messiah was willing to engage with her in the context of her life as it actually was. And so what did she do? She ran into town and told everybody, come see a man that knows everything I ever did. This might be the Messiah. And then brought them out to meet Jesus. Are you starting to see it? That a lot can happen when you are freed to engage with God as your real self. God will not deal with your false self. He will not deal with some pretend projection of you, even in prayer. He won't deal with that. He wants you. The second thing is be leery of spiritual greed. Instead, pray the ordinary stuff of your life. <laughs> Guilty of this one too. I still fall into this. I constantly fall into this. Especially those of you that have prayed with me. You know that I do this. Spiritual greed is not being content or satisfied with my current experience of God. And it causes us, it causes me to frantically run around or search the internet for spiritual highs. It's the, it's the action, it's the activity of an addict. I'm looking for another spiritual hit. And we've all done this. Every single person in this room has done this. I do this more than anybody probably. And the problem is I begin to chase a feeling or an experience rather than actually chasing God. And it's the quickest way to pull myself out of the current moment, which is the only place where God agrees to meet with me. There's a beautiful case study of this in, in 1 Kings 19. I would encourage you to read this slowly, too. It's a study, it's a study of Elijah, and a lot of you know this story. You know, Elijah just experienced some incredible mountaintop demonstration of God's power moments in his ministry. And it was because of him. It was because he's the one that prayed it. God rained down fire because he asked God to do that. He showed up like all these prophets of Baal, this false god, and he, it was incredibly powerful, victorious moment in God. Huge moments. Some of the more dramatic moments in Scripture. He had just experienced those moments. And then in 1 Kings 19, he finds out that Jezebel, who is the wicked wife of King Ahab, hears about what happened through Elijah's leadership, how the Spirit, how God showed up in this dramatic way. She hears about it, and she says, Tell Elijah, I'm going to kill him by tomorrow. He'll be dead. And what does Elijah do? He just experiences this unbelievable power of God. And he runs away. He goes and hides under a broom tree. Broom trees have this big canopy, and he's probably hanging down on the ground. He's probably hiding under this broom tree. And he basically says, God, just kill me now. 
kill me now. There's too much opposition. There, I mean, I, I feel you, Elijah. I, I feel like I've been there before. Just take me now. Just, I want to go to heaven. I'm done with this place. Like, why do we have to deal with this? God, just come back. Rescue me now. I'm tired of the opposition. Let's just take me now. And he falls asleep. He takes a nap. And he wakes up. An angel wakes him up and says, you need to eat some food. This is incredible. <laughs> I just don't even have time to go into this. But he fixes him a meal. And, and Elijah eats. That's unbelievable. And then Elijah's like, it's like Thanksgiving. You take a nap after the big meal. And by the way, Kara and I do Sabbaths on Monday. And if you've never taken a double nap Sabbath, you are not living. Because double nap Sabbaths are like the best thing ever. He took a double nap. He took two naps after this incredible time of serving the Lord and God's power through him. He takes two naps and, the, and an angel wakes him up again. There's more food. And he's like, you need to eat some more food. This is going to sustain you. Get some more grub. So he eats again, and then what does he do? He goes to this place called Mount Oreb, the Mount of God. Now pay attention here, because some of you know, if you know the Bible, Mount Oreb is the same mountain that's called Mount Sinai in other places in the Bible. The, the same mountain, Mount Oreb and Mount Sinai. And God asks Elijah a very fascinating question. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Kind of like, you're not supposed to be here. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says, I've done a lot for you. I've been jealous for your name. Everyone in Israelites abandoned me, abandoned you. <laughs> and I'm alone. And now they're trying to kill me. And God says, hmm, mm-hmm. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And this wind tears through. Not just a light wind, but like a wind that breaks rocks into pieces. That's what it actually says. It's a pretty strong wind. And Elijah's like, now we're talking. Now I'm seeing a demonstration of the power of God. And then scripture says, but God wasn't in the wind. So Elijah's probably like, okay, what's next? And then there was an earthquake. The mountain shook. And Elijah's probably thinking, oh, yeah, 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 come on. This is what I've been waiting for. A demonstration of spirit's power, like Jezebel's going to get like, swallowed up by the earth. I get you what you're doing. I get what you're doing. I know what's happening here. I like this. This is what I'm talking about. And then the Bible says, God wasn't in the earthquake. And then a fire came through. And Elijah must have been like, okay, yeah, yeah. I called down fire from heaven. I get it. Yeah, this is how you talk to me specifically through this demonstration of your power. Yep, it's fire. I got gotcha. you. And then the Bible says God wasn't in the fire. Now let's pause for a minute. And let's ask ourselves the question, why do you think Elijah came to this particular mountain? Because what happened the last time a prophet stood on this mountain? That would have been Moses. And it would have been God coming to him face to face and giving him the Ten Commandments. And what happened when God showed up? There was a storm, and there was an earthquake, and there was a fire. And I think that's why Elijah went to this mountain. 
because he wanted some more of that. He heard this is where God moves. I'm going to go there. Because I have an idea in my mind of what God's power looks like. And if it's not expressed in a way that I can really sense his power, then it must not be God. So I'm going to go back to where Moses went and pray that he does it again. Do it again. Do it again. But God wanted to make a point. So after the wind and the earthquake and the fire, there was a whisper. And God went out of the cave, or Elijah went out of the cave to see what was going on. And he heard a question What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives him the same answer. I've been very jealous for you, Lord. The people of, all, of Israel have all forsaken you. I'm the only faithful one left. And now they want to kill me. And God says, get back to the wilderness in Damascus. Get back to where you're supposed to be. And he gives them some instructions on what he's going to do when he goes back to the wilderness of Damascus. In other words, God says, go back to your life, and in the course of your normal life, I've got things I want to do through you. Elijah thought that he had to go to the mountain where God met with Moses and told him to take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. And what God was saying to Elijah is when I'm with you, everywhere you go is holy ground. And he was saying, I've got work, I do have work for you to do, but it's back there in that place that you thought was too ordinary. It's not here. What are you doing here? And when we embrace this truth, it affects the way that we pray. And if you're looking for compelling things to pray about, I promise you that you have enough raw material with your life as it is right now to keep you busy. There's enough there. God can do things in your life right now. You don't have to be looking for something else or somewhere else. or In, in your life right now, there's plenty that he could do if you were open to it. I was corrected once in this area, <laughs> once, um, one of the times that I was corrected in this area. I have this crazy privilege to be able to pray with people in really important parts and times of their life. And for some reason, over the years, several times I've been able to pray with families in, in a specific way that their um, mom or wife uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer. For some reason, that's come up multiple times in my ministry life. And one time I was praying with a family and there were multiple pastors there from you know, different churches and we were all asked to come pray with this dear woman and her family, her young kids and it was compelling and I didn't really know how to pray and so sometimes when I don't know how to pray I get really insecure and I try to be just extra bold hoping that makes up for it. And... So I was getting worked up and, you know, show up in a mighty way here, God. Um, 
I was asking for wind and earthquake and fire and all the stuff, and God's like, I'm, I'm actually already here. You don't even need to ask me to show up. I'm already here if you'd be quiet enough to pay attention to that. And finally, all of us pastors, we were kind of doing the same thing. And we got quiet long enough for the person who actually knew that the Lord was already present to pray. I don't remember her exact words, but I remember it went something like, I'm glad these guys feel confident, but I'm scared. And I want to trust you, and I'm supposed to trust you, and I really want to, and I do know that you're good. And I don't know why this happened to me. And I'm not exactly sure how to pray. I don't know how to talk to you about this. But I've got three kids, and I'd love to see them grow up. And I don't know what to say, and I don't really even feel like talking right now. And I'm looking at the pastors and we're all like, we better take our shoes off because this kind of feels like holy ground. One honest sentence in prayer is more powerful than a thousand paragraphs of spiritual hot air or cold doctrine. One honest sentence in prayer. Pray the ordinary stuff of your life and pray it with frankness and honesty. Get through the religious stuff. Get through the projections. Get through the false bravado. Get through, quit imitating other people. Talk to him about your life as it is, as you are in that moment. That's where stuff happens. And David Benner has a great quote here. God will always hear any prayer that is born out of honesty and that expresses whatever amount of faith we actually have. When it comes about praying about your ordinary life, God will use whatever amount of faith that you have in the moment. Just pray that. Whatever amount of trust that you have, just pray that. God will use it. Even if it's just the size of a little mustard seed, he can do stuff with that. Don't pretend to be further along than you are. You don't need to do that. He knows where you're at. Come to God with your ordinary life, with a little faith, and see what he does. All right, three really quick practical places to start. Um, one is pray your calendar, pray through your day, pray how you see your week coming together. In my practice in that I've learned from others, this is a very conversational time. I'm not making, you know, in the morning, I'm not asking a lot of questions or not making a lot of requests. I'm just talking to him about the stuff that I'm doing that day. I'm going to meet with this guy. I don't, you know, I'm not sure what we should talk about. Um, I'm meeting with this person. I've got this counseling session. I need to work on this teaching. I'm just talking with him about that stuff. I want to pay attention to what you're doing, God. I want, I want you to come into the ordinary moments of my life and do something interesting. That's the type of stuff I want to be a part of. I want to comfort people who need to be comforted, and I need myself to be comforted, so you're going to have to help me too and send people to do that. It's just talking through the day conversationally and then talking through the week as you see it coming together, like, wow, I've, I'm getting behind because you've brought other things into my schedule. Now I'm a little behind on the teaching, so you're going to have to make space for that, God. You're going to have to 
help me put this together in a little bit less time. Like it, that's the type of stuff that I talk about with God in the morning. It's, you'd be shocked at how ordinary it is. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I, I've been doing this for just a little while as I'm learning it. As I'm falling asleep, um, I go back through the day and I try to talk to God about different things that I saw him doing. And this is quiet. This is like right before I go to sleep as I'm dozing off. And it was interesting how you showed up there today, God. That was really cool. Um, or you surprised me with the thing that person said. Or you surprised me with the thing that I said. Or I thought that was just going to be kind of a waste of time and it ended up being very meaningful. Thanks for showing up there. Just processing. And it helps me start believing that the most important stuff is happening in the invisible realm, but that realm can come into the visible stuff. Like The things of this world are not really that interesting anymore. It's, it's where I see these kairos moments where heaven and earth are beginning to overlap. That to me is interesting. It's really interesting. And praying that way is training me to see those moments more frequently. This is another thing I pray. You've heard me say this before. This, this statement isn't original to me. It's, I got it from somebody else. Father, you give me all the time, energy, and resources to do everything you've called me to do today. Help me to keep in step with you. So if I'm feeling like I don't have enough time to do everything I need to do in life, that's not God's fault. So I'm asking God to pay more attention and to live more wisely and do the things he's calling me to do because he's not trying to run me into the ground. So we have enough time, energy, and resources to do everything God calls us to do, not necessarily everything that we want to do, and not necessarily everything other people want us to do. And I'm caring less and less about hurting other people's feelings because God's helping me to discern and learn how to, here's where I want you, here's what I want you to do, don't worry about anything else. And it's because I'm beginning to pray, I've, I've been praying that way, and I'm beginning to see what he wants me to do. And that's difficult, and a little subjective, and I'd be happy to talk with you more about that in person if you want to. And the final thing that I pray is, and there's other things too, I pray for my family during the morning as well, and there's other things I talk with him about, but these three are pretty essential. The other thing is, Lord, what are you up to and how can I join you? And this is an all-day prayer, actually. Okay, what are you up to? I wake up in the morning and you didn't sleep, you're already at work, what have you been doing? Get me caught up. I mean, really, it's that type of conversation. I, I want to see what's, what's going on. Something will come out in my Bible reading or something that's like, oh, that gives me some clue as to what you're up to. I just talked with Sean Lally before uh, service this morning. We were talking about, I'm trying to figure out what's God up to in the church, this COVID thing. And I, I see a lot of people just like amping up and pushing, we're going to get through this. And I'm like, there's other people that are saying, Let's try to pay attention to what Jesus is doing here instead of just amping up in our own kind of bravado. What are you doing, God? Let's ask that question. Um, so this is an all-day thing. You know, when I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm asking God, what are you up to in this? This is every conversation. What are you doing? What are you doing? What do you want from me here? Every conversation. It's, it's adventurous. It's fun. There's no better way to live. I'll never go back. Let's pray.
God, there's people in this room that go into places and into rooms and into conversations and live in places and interact with people that I'll never interact with. And I'm really glad that you don't need professional church people to spread your kingdom, that it actually works best through normal people. <laughs> it's who are living their lives, paying attention to you, and who bring you with them wherever they go, every day. And these are the, some of the most humble people in this church. Some of the conversations, I can't believe how God, you are using them and how you want to use them. And some of these dear friends are just so humble, they don't, they don't even see it. And I think that's why you like to use them. And so I pray that we would become the type of people that are paying attention to you and to your kingdom so that wherever we go, it becomes holy ground. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.